You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning into today's show. On today's show, we're going to be talking about why you can say goodbye to unlimited risk option strategies forever. And it's actually a very simple concept, and I want to take a step back today on the podcast and kind of go over a very basic understanding of why we can convert anything from from unlimited risk to a defined risk strategy. So this is more of a beginner type episode or more of, I guess, uh, beginner and intermediate type episode. But I think you guys will really enjoy it because we'll go over a couple little case studies here using IWM, which is one of the major market ETFs. But first, I want to dispel this huge myth that's out there about unlimited risk strategies. And really, it gets a bad rap in the market. So because it gets a bad rap in the market because of the name unlimited risk that gets labeled on it. We obviously know that if we define our own risk via position size and using margin calculations, which brokers do for you, but when you get into a trade, you know how much exposure, if you're going to trade something naked on one side or the other side, you know, either side, basically a naked put, a naked call, a straddle, a strangle, those are unlimited, air fingers quotes, unlimited risk strategies. But we know that there's a range that those things are going to trade in. We know that they can't trade to infinity. Generally, stock market indexes do not crash overnight to zero, right? So you don't have that risk all the way down. But it just gets a really bad rap in the industry and, and in the market with people who are new that just don't understand it. So the first thing I'll say, though, is that unlimited risk strategies, although they seem unlimited, can be limited by your own position size. So if you limit your position size, you can limit your own risk on that type of position. You should also not be trading just one naked position across one different ETF. You should trade multiple positions across multiple ticker symbol, symbols, et cetera, right? So it all kind of makes sense and is very logical why we should you know, spread our risk and keep our position size down so that no one individual trade knocks us out. Now, the most important part, and you can go back to show 100 where we talked about this as well, is that unlimited risk strategies are actually the most profitable and generate the highest returns with the smoothest portfolio graph of mostly any strategy out there, right? So if you take on that risk, you get duly compensated for the risk that you take on. So the market is pretty fair and efficient that if you take on this risk and you have these unlimited risk positions, air fingers quotes, that start moving a little bit more, you still get compensated more so than if you did a defined risk position. But in today's show, I want to talk about how you can convert those into a defined risk position so that if you either are forced to do a defined risk position because you're trading in an IRA or retirement account or a SEP IRA or a Roth IRA or a 401k account, if you're forced to do an option trade and have defined risk, I'm going to show you how you can do it today. And then obviously you can convert anything over that you want because all it is is just basically defining your risk and buying yourself protection against that unlimited naked position that you might have had originally. Okay. So in today's discussion, I want to use IWM as the poster boy, I guess, or the the example that we're going to use here for calculating this out because it's a major market ETF. I think it kind of explains and, and describes the 
the different setups that we have here today. So you might hear me clicking around in the background a little bit in the audio, so I can't really change that because I want to make sure that I can click around and kind of move things around as we go here today. But right now, the IWM is trading at 180, uh, 184.27. That's where it closed yesterday. It's about like three o'clock in the morning when I'm actually recording this video. So the markets are not open right now, but we're about 45 days-ish from expiration in December. So obviously IWM could be higher or lower than where it is at this moment. Now, if you were to do just a regular short strangle in IWM, right now you would sell the 139 puts, which are about the 15 delta on the put side. And then on the call side, you would sell the 15 delta, which is the 155 calls. Okay, so pretty standard setup at this point. And you would collect $122 of premium to do this. Now, in this case, we know, and the buying power effect or margin required for this position now we know is 2260, okay? So that's a given number. And this is why I always tell people, it's like the brokers calculate their margin at thresholds, like you know, expected move thresholds where they think that the stock could potentially go in the future. Not that it's a high probability because this is a high probability trade in its initial setup. There's probably a 30% chance that it goes outside of this range. But if it does make a big move, the brokers want to protect themselves to these further standard deviation extremes. So by using this margin or buying power effect, you can effectively control your risk. If you feel, feel like $2,200 in your account is a lot of money for your account and you can't you know, handle that type of account balance, then yeah, you don't want to do this. You want to convert it into a defined risk strategy like we're going to talk about. But again, it's something that you can look at here and you can obviously see if you can convert this thing over. So again, we can collect $122 and have $2,260 of marginable risk on, right? So that's just the margin that's required to hold the position. Now, in this case, that turns out to be a 5.39% return, okay? So the return that you would get if you got all of that credit at expiration, didn't close it early, but had to hold it for the entire 45-day period would be 5.39%. So not still not a bad return for basically a month and a half worth of work, okay? But if you wanted to now convert this position over and do this as a defined risk strategy, what you would need to do is simply buy options further out than your short strikes. That's really all there is to it. It's nothing more complicated than that. It's buying options further out than your short strikes. Now you're gonna have to use that credit that you collected of $122 and by the way, I did mention this earlier, but we'll have screenshots of all these uh, setups that we're doing right now. I'm taking screenshots as we're going through here. So if you want to go to the show notes page at optionoff.com slash show 109, just the number 109, we'll have screenshots there for you guys in the show notes. So you can take a look at these order dialog boxes and kind of see where we uh, things were at the time. But again, in this case, you have to take some of that $122 credit that you collected from selling the short strangle, which is these inside legs at the 155 call and the 139 put, you've got to use some of that premium and now basically buy options further out on either end. So in our case, let's say we want to do a $5 wide spread on either end. So I would buy the 160 calls. And at this point, I'm selling the 139 puts. So I would buy the 134 puts down below the market. So there's a very standard setup and not not all times do I do just a $5 wide spread to begin with. Sometimes you don't need to go $5 wide, right? The next you know, two or $3 strikes higher on the call side 
might be cheap enough that you can buy options pretty cheap, right? But you don't need to go out $10 because Kirk said you need to go out $10. You just need to go out as far enough as you feel comfortable with your risk and your position size. And it's taking in a decent enough credit that still makes it worth doing, right? That's really ultimately what you're trying to do. So in this case, with IWM, if we did a $5 wide spread on either side, again, buying the 160 calls and then buying the 134 puts, our credit gets reduced down to just $69. So at this point, we've collected not 122, but we've collected 69. So this is now where we start to see the trade-off in doing this is that you start to obviously collect less premium because you are now getting a defined risk position, right? So that's the trade-off that you have to make. You collect less premium, so you make less money, but now you're defined risk, right? So market's pretty fair and efficient in the sense that you don't get anything for free. You can't get defined risk and no reduction in the premium that you collect, right? That's that's inefficient for the market to do that. But in this case, it still works out to be a pretty decent setup, right? So in this case, and again, you can see the screenshots at optionalpha.com slash show 109. But in this case, we collect $69 of premium. The margin that's required to hold this position is just the difference between the strike prices, which is $5 basically, less the premium that we collect. And so it's about $435 after commissions in this case. So now your return jumps up to 15.86% on this position. So not too shabby, right? And again, when you think about this, you think to yourself, well, okay, maybe I'm okay collecting less money, but having a higher return on my trade, right? Having a higher ROI on this type of position with defined risk. And that's totally doable. It's totally possible to do this. We see this all the time with backtesting that iron condors and iron butterflies generally in low implied volatility markets tend to work a little bit better because they have higher returns with defined risk and you can effectively create uh, a scenario where you have the same marginable risk as a short strangle, a short straddle and collect way more money in doing so. Now, the only trade-off that you have at this point, and most people don't think about this, but it is a true trade-off, is that your break-even points, although your return on investment is higher for sure, your break-even points or the point at which you start losing money on this position is much more narrow. So now your break-even points are you know closer in to where the stock is trading, you know, not as far out from your short strikes. And that is going to affect the position in the sense that if the stock starts to move against you, you don't have as much wiggle room, right? Now, in this case, it's not too much. It's you know basically less than a dollar of reduction in a $148 stock, but it is something that's you know something you have to be concerned about. The other thing that you have to consider when going risk-defined like this is that you're not generally going to get the quicker profits like you would if you did a straddle or a strangle. So if you think about a straddle or a strangle, it's just single contracts that you're trading. So you're trading the short puts and the short calls. So as time decay and if volatility contracts, those options are going to see a quicker, more violent reduction in their premium. And when you do the iron condor in this case, where you turn it into a defined risk strategy, because you're now selling and buying options at the same time, the premium decays at a much slower pace. So what we've seen in backtesting is that short strangles and short straddles, you can hold for shorter periods of time. Therefore, you have the ability to potentially recycle that capital at a faster pace. 
the iron butterfly and I'm sorry, the iron condor in this case, you have a higher ROI to begin with, but it also means that you have to hold potentially the trade much longer, maybe two or three times longer than you would the original short strangle. Okay. So even though it seems like, and again, I'm trying to go through as many of these like different things to consider, not to say that you have to think about this on every single trade that you do, but I just want you to understand that there is truly no trade-off, right? There's, I mean, there's trade-offs that you're making in the market, but you're giving up something to get it. In this case, by converting this into a risk-defined strategy, which is great if you want risk-defined. I'm not saying it's not bad or, or I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad because we do both. I mean, like we do straddles, we do strangles, we do iron butterflies, we do iron condors. We've got both going right now, but you have to understand the trade-offs that you're making. In this case, I would probably do something similar to the iron condor versus the strangle only because the margin required is so much less, right? And I might be willing then to hold the position longer and tying up a little bit of capital for a little bit longer period than tying up a larger amount of capital for a shorter amount of period, right? And that's just a trade-off that I might make in this situation. Again, you ultimately have to make the decision. I just want you to understand how these different aspects work for these positions, okay? So again, that's really all it is. And at this point now, you can start adjusting your long strikes. If you want to take in a higher credit, let's say you go up to the 165 call, so you do a $10 wide strike on either end, so $10 wide spread, that now moves the credit up to 91 cents from 69 cents. In my opinion, it's not worth going that wide, right? So in this case now, if we go $10 out on either end, we basically take in a credit of $91. Our margin that's required to hold this position after commissions is $913. So in this example now, our return drops down to 9.9%, right? So you see that as we start to replicate more of the original strangle position, the just true naked strangle position, we start to see that our return starts to edge down towards that 5.39% that we originally had. And again, not to say that any of these is necessarily better than the other. It's just understanding the trade-off here and also understanding that you don't have to do any undefined risk strategies. You can do defined risk strategies if you have a smaller account control your position size, control your risk, and still generate some pretty decent returns along the way. So hopefully today's discussion has been really helpful. As always, you guys can get some uh, screenshots that we took over at optionoffcom slash show 109. And of course, if you guys have questions or need help, please let me know in the comment section or add a comment to Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest, wherever you're watching this or listening to this right now. And of course, we'll jump in there and try to help you guys out. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. I'm Mark from the Netherlands. I'm trading options now for six months on a paper account. I followed your webinar yesterday and I really like it. I also followed all your tracks and learned a lot of it. I have a question about good option pricing. In your video, you show that you use the probability in money to calculate good option pricing. When you use 20% of probability in money in your first example, you need a credit of at least $1.
Instead, if I use Delta, I need a credit of at least $1.15. When I can get a credit of $1.05, in your example, using probability and the money, you are good. If I use Delta, it would not be okay. How can I use Deltas to calculate good option pricings? All right. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for submitting the question here. I think that's a good question. I think to quickly answer your question, because I think it's a pretty simple description here of what you should be doing. I don't know what security you were looking at at the time that you did that video, but I would probably venture to say that that security is not too liquid. Because what you often find is that with illiquid securities, there's a bigger discrepancy between the probability of being in the money and the delta. If you look at something like IWM or SPY or the Qs, you start to see that the difference between probability and delta is very, very small. And in some cases, there's no difference effectively between those two numbers. So I would first say you just want to look at securities that are more liquid. To kind of prove this point just a little bit more, when we look at the probabilities and the deltas for IWM, so still sticking with our IWM position that we were talking about earlier in the podcast, the 141 strike put options have a 20.12% probability of being in the money and the delta on those is negative 0.2. I mean, so effectively it's the same delta to probability right there. That's not too much of a difference. Maybe, you know, rounding error on calculating probability versus what the actual delta is, but it's not too much of a difference at all. In fact, the 139 strikes have about a 15.19% probability of being in the money and a negative delta of 0.15. So it's, again, very, very similar. So I think that effectively you could use either of those as long as you're trading in liquid underlyings and securities. If you want to learn more about, obviously, the liquid underlyings and ETFs that we use, you can check out our watchlist software, which is part of our Toolbox Lite program. So you can go to optionalpha.com toolbox, and you can see all of the software tools that we built to help us scan, analyze, and backtest all of our trades before we actually start putting our hard-earned money at risk. So again, thanks so much for submitting the question. If you want to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook and our new daily call podcast, head on over to optionalpha.com ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Like I said, there's no software to download or install. It's super easy and it's literally first come first serve. So we've got questions that are coming in, which is great. We obviously need more questions all the time. So we keep a good backlog of questions coming in and we can kind of fuel these podcasts, not only this show, but also our new daily call podcast where we're literally taking lots of these questions and answering them every single day. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so in today's closing bell segment, I wanted to talk conceptually about what we're trying to do here later today. Like I said, it's very early in the morning right now when I'm recording this podcast, but later today, we're going to be getting into a couple earnings trades. And I wanted to talk conceptually about what we're going to be doing here with these three ticker symbols, uh, potentially four ticker symbols that we want to try to get into here today. And um, I think this might help because I know we get a lot of questions about you know how we look for trades and what we look for. And so again, I think that this conversation today talking conceptually about what we're trying to do here might help out. So the three or four ones that we potentially want to get into later today are Facebook, which is FB, Alibaba, which is Baba, B-A-B-A, Tesla, T-S-L-A, and then Yelp, which is Y-E-L-P. 
So all of these securities have super high implied volatility, which for me, getting into an earnings trade is one of the biggest criteria. I mean, I want people to assume that the stock is going to make a big move, an insane move, and then consistently over time, that stock underperforms those expectations. I think Facebook is probably one of the ones and probably even Tesla too that set up really well to actually underperform. And in fact, I've mentioned this numerous times before. So this is not the first time I'm mentioning it. I'm just mentioning it on the podcast. I think Facebook is one of those ones that's set to underperform expectations. And very similar to what happened in Apple many years ago. And in fact, just even a couple of years ago, Apple was growing at such a large pace that people assumed Apple would continue to grow at even larger clips. And although we saw Apple announce earnings and earnings were great, they beat expectations, they made more money, they generated more revenue, it never was enough to satisfy the appetite of the market. And so what you have in situations like, I think what might happen in Facebook or what might happen in Yelp is that people are assuming already that the stock is going to blow out expectations, that they're going to make a ton of money, revenues, profits are going to grow, but it just not is going to be enough. It's going to be a buy the rumor, sell the news type of event that people are pricing in, say, 100% revenue growth, and they get 80%, right? Now, 80% is still insane growth, but people assumed it was going to be 100%, right? And so that's why I think that all of these are good earnings candidates because they have super high implied volatility. So Yelp has IV around 96. BABA right now has implied volatility at 92. Tesla and Facebook are both at 100% implied volatility, which means that's the highest volatility that we've seen in both of these securities in over a year. Now, again, it doesn't mean that it's going to 100% come inside expectations. I'm just saying that both of these are setting up to be the best opportunities that you have to sell premium. You still have to control position size. You still have to control you know, the pricing of the position. Make sure that you collect enough money to get outside the expected move or your break-even points are outside the expected move. But frankly, folks, like you have to make these trades. These are trades that you have to make and try to take advantage of the mispricing that's going to happen over time, right? And if it doesn't work out in this case, like it is what it is, and eventually it will, right? It's never a hundred percent shoe in, but I think all of these are really good setups. The pricing is good, implied volatility is good. You know, it looks like the liquidity is going to be pretty good because there's already a lot of activity yesterday. But we still do want to wait for the actual, you know, day of move. In fact. You know, yesterday in Tesla, Tesla was up yesterday about 3% before the the earnings are going to be announced later on after today's close. So for us, a 3% move yesterday would have totally recentered the position had we got into it yesterday. So we don't know what's going to happen today. If Tesla is going to be up another 3%, then we have to wait towards the end of the day to actually enter these positions, right? So I think that's another key thing with these earnings trades is you do want to try to be as neutral as humanly possible towards them so that you know if the stock moves really big the day of the earnings event or the day before the earnings event that you have an opportunity to recenter that trade that's why we like to get into these trades towards the end of the day right before they announce so that we're as neutral as possible to the actual event because again we don't know where it's going to go you know nobody knows i don't even think CEOs know you know nobody knows where the stock's going to go even though people might know where the actual earnings are or where they attend to post earnings. It's just the reaction 
of the market that we have to be aware of. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. And again, it wasn't an exact trade, but I'm just kind of talking, you know, thought process and a high level about what we're looking at today and and why we're looking and targeting uh, basically these four positions for earnings trades today. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right. So again, I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And as always, got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, some links mentioned in the show, and related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 109. Again, that's just the number 109, optionalpha.com slash show 109. And until next time, happy trading.